I've heard so many people say that times are so uncertain and things are so bad that they just wouldn't want to raise children in this day and age. And my guest says he has the answer to that, and that is to raise them strong. I'm Monica Schmelter. I'm glad that you could join me today for Bridges, where we bring you hope for the journey. My guest today is Dr. Brooks Gibbs, and for 20 years, he's been speaking to youth and teaching emotional resilience. So if you've been wondering how to raise strong kids, help your grandchildren, this is a show that you need to watch. Brooks, it's so good to have you on Bridges today. Monica, I love your show. Thank Thank you you. so much, and it's an honor to be here. Well, we're honored to have you, and I think... I do want to tell you, I have heard so many people say, I just wouldn't want to have kids today if I was Mm. young. And when I went to your website, and I know you're developing some shows and things for CTN, I saw a whole new message really about not being so concerned about the times, but really just raising your kids strong. How does one do that? Mm. Well, you have to exercise the kid's mind when we're talking about emotional strength, Mm -hmm. just like you would the body. And uh, that happens by helping a child learn how to handle not getting what they want. That's really the, uh, really the holy grail of emotional resilience education is teaching kids um, what to do when they don't get what they want or what to do when they get what they don't want. It's mm. the same side yeah. or two sides of the same coin. But uh, Solomon said the most important thing is to guard your heart because yeah. out of the heart flows the issues of life. And if we want to avoid our children having issues, we have to teach them how to regulate their emotions. And that's what guard the heart means, I think. it's you, you, There's a separation between my mind and my heart or my cognitive capacity, my thinking skills, and my emotive skills, my emotional sense. And, and emotions are always products of thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So as my thoughts are, so my feelings follow. Or as scripture says, as man thinks in his heart, so he is, or as thinks in his mind, so he is. So Really, the, uh, the way we raise kids strong is to really keep our pulse on how are they becoming spoiled brats demanding what they always want or can they adjust to the harsh reality that life doesn't give you all that you want? Yeah, and I think sometimes parents just, they think it's love, but they just think that their job is to give their kids every little thing they want and that's probably counterproductive. Yeah, dumbest thing you could do. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, life does not work that way. We want to replicate life. Because uh, we don't always win, right? Sometimes we lose. Do yeah. we lose well? We uh, don't always get the largest end of the share. Are we happy for the other person? To, to you know, Do we prefer others over ourselves? No, to pacify children by giving them what they want creates little narcissists that they believe that they are the center of the universe. And that's supposed to be parented out of a child. They come that way. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. And foolishness is like not wanting to work, not grateful, a sense of entitlement, uh, learned helplessness, always wanting other people to solve their problems for them. Um, No, thank you. I want a child who can learn to solve their problems on their own and endure hardship like a good soldier and be loving and caring, you know, and to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. But I give problems back to kiddos so they can learn how to be emotionally resilient and solve them. Yeah. And I know your mom did a great job with you on some things <laughs> when you were growing up. And so I want to just cut to a video that where you talk about a story. I want you to take a look at this video that's on Brooks Gibbs' website. It's called Raise Them Strong. And I think it will really impact your life. Remember... At the end of my eighth grade year, 
after being depressed, being on medication, being in special education classes, I was a wreck. My mother sat me down and she says, son, I feel like I'm going to lose you. I said, mom, you might. She says, I want to tell you a little story. I said, mom, I don't want to hear your stories. Your stories never work. I'm not four years old, okay? She says, shut up and listen to my story. That's like cussing for my mom. She said, once upon a time, there was a pony. And this little pony couldn't keep up with the tall, dark, and handsome horses. He couldn't see where he was going. He forgot his inhaler. He was like having asthma issues. I said, Mom, is this pony me? She says, shut your mouth. She said, and one day, this little pony, as he was trying to catch up with the real popular horses and, and be liked by them, these mean horses decided to play a little trick to set a trap to see this pony fall. So here's what they did. They dug a pit eight foot into the earth. They took brush, covered the pit, hoping the pony would not see it and fall to his death. And you know, that's exactly what happened. As he was walking, he walked on the brush and fell eight foot into the dirt. I'm like, mom, this is the worst story in the history of stories. She says, shut your mouth. I said, well, what happened? Did the pony die? She says, it got really worse actually. The horses, they came out and with their shovels, I'm like, how do horses have shovels? She says, shut your mouth. They took the same dirt that they put out of the pit and they put the, pit, the, the dirt back into the pit to bury this pony alive. And as the dirt fell on his back, he felt burdened. In a word, he felt in total despair. He thought to himself, this is it. This is how my life ends. They're gonna win. I'm gonna lose. I'm going to die. And the more dirt they put into the pit, the more it weighed the pony down until he was so overwhelmed he was about to collapse. But then a thought came to him. I'm not going out this way. I'm not going to let him win. I'm going to be smarter than this. And you know what he did? He shook it off. And he stomped it down and it got a little higher. And the more dirt they put in to bury him alive, landed on his back, he shook it off. And he stomped it down, and it got a little higher. And the more dirt they put down, my mom was telling me this story, the more dirt they put on his back, he just shook it off. And he stomped it down, and he shook it off, and he stomped it down, and he shook it off. I'm like, Mom, that's disgusting. Stop. She's like, no, you need to get through this in your head. I hope this will never leave your mind. You need to know. You need to shake it off. I stomped it down. You need to shake it off. I stomped it down. You need to shake it off. I stomped it down. I'm like, mother, stop it. It's totally inappropriate. She says, you got to shake it off. Stomp it down. And the more hate that people put on you to bury you alive, shake it off. Why? Because this pony was able to shake enough dirt off his back and stomp down enough of the dirt to rise. He rose all the way to the top and he walked right out of that pit and he gained the respect of his abusers. But more importantly, he gained self-respect that he was not going to let anyone bury him alive. (laughs) 
If you're just joining me today on Bridges, Dr. Brooks Gibbs is my guest. We're talking about cultivating emotional resilience in children's lives. And the video you just saw really shows you a story that it impacted me, and I know that it had to impact you. And Brooks, when I look at that, I think about how your mom really just imparted to you, basically, kids are going to pick on you, they're going to bully you, but you can rise above it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that, that I'm, I'm pressed but not crushed, yeah. persecuted but not abandoned, pre- you know, uh, struck down but not destroyed. Uh, and he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. And count it all joy when you fall into various trials that the suffering of or testing of your faith produces patience. And on and on it goes. Uh, that's this message of resilience. In fact, that's the only message in the scripture is to endure hardship. Yeah. And, and if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. If you can't keep up with the, with the footman, what makes you think you can keep up with the horsemen? In other words, there's very little sympathy in the Bible. There's always just a call to yeah. action. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, who does God say that I am? I mean, that's what I tell kids all the time. Uh, you know, I speak primarily in secular stages, but when I'm off stage and kids are like, yeah, but I just, I'm, I'm, I'm inadequate. I'm not enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd say, you know, you are, you are, you're God's creation, Absolutely. fearfully and wonderfully made. And because my mother instilled that sense of value from God Almighty, well, if God is for me, who could be against me? And so when it was time for her to awaken the the seed of God's word that she planted for years in my heart, in my eighth grade year, when I was hospitalized or cutting or I was on medication and miserable, three middle schools in three years, trying to escape mean people, she just awakened resilience. And uh, God did a mighty work. Yeah. I mean, I look at the work that you're doing now, and you really know it as an expert, but in your personal experience, cutting, having to be medicated, you know what it's like not to have emotional resilience and to let the comments and mean things that other people do really impact you, but you're a story of raising above it. Yeah, and it, it, it frustrates me to no end that student, students don't realize the, the power that they have whether or not something offends them. You know, that's, I actually thought uh, like physical aggression, someone beating me up, was the same as emotional aggression, someone leaving me out of a group. In other words, if they would do that, then I would automatically get hurt. But that's not how it works. Yes, if someone hits me with a stick or a stone, I might break my bone. But a word has to process through my mind before it decides to hurt my heart or break my heart. My grandmother, Grandma Jody said, if you want to break my heart, you have to go through my mind first. And so the power of the mind to guard the heart is very, very important. And I did not know that. And so I, I really, the primarily thing that I do traveling around the country in a new city every week, I've spoken to 3,000 schools, uh, two, 2 million students face-to-face, is I teach them the control they have over their emotional state. Yeah. You know, so because important. Because we're more powerful, really, than we think. You know, because when you say kids don't know that, right, mm-hmm. there are lots of adults that don't know that. They're still processing. They're still traumatized by things that were said and done in their youth. And really what your message is, is that we can rise above that. When I looked at your website, Brooks, and I saw that your viral videos like have amassed millions of views. I mean, clearly it's resonating with people. There's a need out there for parents, for children to know we've got to have emotional resilience. Yeah. And it really starts, I think, modeling at home with parents, you know, 
teaching them how to not be offended by something. And uh, when so- someone asks me, what, what do you really, really teach, though? And I say, well, I teach, teach people how to not be offended by, and it's usually managing your expectations. Mm-hmm. Because the same mean person can say the same mean thing to another kid, but when they say it to your kid, your kid flies off the handle in anger. Yeah. So it's not the mean behavior or the mean words that, that is the cause of the emotional distress. It's your child's demands that he must not, ought not, should not say that to me. And the rigid demands are what sets a child up for mm-hmm. offense. An offense is, it's a very dangerous thing. The victim mindset is a very dangerous mindset. And the Bible says it's a man's glory to overlook an offense. That's a virtue. And so that's what we need to teach kids. Look, unless you hurt my body or property or my loved one's body or property, I'm not going to be offended. There's no need to give you the satisfaction of evoking out of me a negative reaction. Exactly, because it's so much time and attention. We've got to take a break. I want you to stay with us. We'll be right back here on Bridges in just a moment. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Join the Bridges community on Facebook. Visit Facebook and search for Bridges with Monica. We would love to connect with you. Don't give in. God's word says you're an overcomer. If you hadn't done blah, 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 this wouldn't have happened. And let me say this to you. If you think that you are in a mess of your own making, you are still an overcomer. When that temptation comes, you want to make sure that you are dressed for battle. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. It takes training. It takes discipline. And so when you're fighting that good fight of the faith, you take your story, whatever it is, and you saturate it in faith and you fight for it. Visit monicaschmelter.com to schedule Monica to speak at your next event. So Dr. Brooks Gibbs is my guest here today on Bridges. We've been talking about cultivating emotional resilience in the lives of your children, your grandchildren. And now we're going to open up the conversation on what is love. Now, Brooks. Love shines brightest against the backdrop of an enemy. I think that's the most amazing thing. While we were at enmity with God, he died for us yep. through the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he loved us and we love him because he first loved us. So love is really, I think, designed um, for that. And, and it, it really is two things, which makes sense if it's 
shines brightest against a backdrop of an enemy. It's patient, it's long-suffering, it's resilient in a word, and it's kind. It's, it's unmerited niceness, especially when you don't deserve it. What's amazing to me is that when I was, I've been in the anti-bullying movement for 23 years since Columbine in 99, and, and I remember uh, studying the origins of the word bully, and the word bully actually means love. In 1560, it's a Shakespearean term. I bully you meant I love you. It never meant anything negative. And then 100 years ago, it meant good. Teddy Roosevelt called the White House the the bully pulpit, a pulpit to do the most good or bully for you. He used bully in every speech. Wow. And they still do that in Europe today. But today it means enemy. And as a believer, as a psychologist, as someone who kind of just kind of overlays the, the, the history of the word with the lens of psychology and theology, I think that is Jesus speaking the whole time. What do we do when we have an enemy, which is what bully means today? We love yes. our enemy. We do good to our enemy. And so that's, and it doesn't fail. It's very difficult for you to be mean to me yeah. as I'm not getting upset and I'm treating you like a mm-hmm. friend. Very powerful. Well, it stops it all down, right? Like a gentle answer turns Turns away away wrath. wrath. And so God gives us tools in the word of God that work, right? Because everything that he does works. But but in that, if you look at what what is love was the question, love is, 1 Corinthians 13, patient. Love is kind. Patience comes before kindness. It's very, I'm not a very good actor. So it's very difficult if I was offended to be nice to you. I'd be like, no, but it's totally cool. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm not upset. No, it's fine. How do I say it? Uh, but I, if I'm patient, if I'm resilient, if I'm not getting upset, if I don't take offense, then I could be genuinely kind. Yeah. So the Bible's wise to put it in that order. Yeah. And another thing I saw on your website that you speak a lot about is love is patient, love is kind, and about the golden rule. Mm-hmm. And that's always been one of my favorite scriptures because it's like, really like a mission statement for life and really puts us more in a position of walking in the authority that God wants us to rather than being victim to everything that people say and do to us or toward us, etc. Right. A lot of times we wait for someone to respect us mm-hmm. before we are respectful to them. Right. In fact, I've done prison work for 20-something years, and prisoners had a mantra, you got to give respect to get respect. And I say, what do you mean by when you say that? you got to give respect. It means that we're waiting for people to give us respect before they get respect, so we're telling them. I said, what if you flipped it? And you said, if I want respect, I better give respect to get respect. So what it is, the golden rule helps us snap out of reciprocity. That's what sociologists call it. Uh, projecting, you know, or reflecting the attitude other people project. You're nice to me. I want to be nice to you. That's reciprocity. You're mean to me. I want to be mean to you. So the golden rule was the first time uh, in human history that ethic of reciprocity, as Aristotle taught it, he says, no, you control that reciprocity. So no matter how they're treating you, you treat them the way you want Mm -hmm. to be treated. From what I understand, Jesus was the first one to put it in the positive, and it's been around thousands of years but it's, it's, it is true. And I demonstrate that all over the country. My videos have been translated in 20 languages yes. around the world. Every, everyone everywhere understands that's exactly right. When I have a mean person being mean to me and I'm treating them not the way they treat me, but the way I want to be treated, which is patient and kind. Well, then, then I control how the uh, interaction goes. Yes. And we also grow when we're doing that and we grow in character and we grow in strength. There have been situations where 
I just really think that someone's being unfair to me, but if I continue just to be patient and kind, I may not change that other person at all, but I walk away knowing that I was living in the strength of Christ, and I'm happy about that. Right. For me, aggression's like a Petri dish. Yeah. I, like, run towards the thing. Like, if someone's upset on the road, I, like, want to be there. <laughs> Not to meddle too much, but just to see if I can... And, and if someone's upset with me, I, I kind of do what David did as he was escaping. I think Absalom was taking over his kingdom. And, and he just said, hey, uh, this guy came up and cussed him out. And his soldier said, should I cut him, his head off? And he says, hey, no, maybe the Lord raised him up to rebuke me. You know, I need a good rebuke. And I have that feeling. Like, I believe God hardens man's heart to accomplish his will in my life. He, God, God makes firm their stubbornness to move me. Okay, that's clearly not my person. This is clearly not my area of work. Thank you, God, for making it so obvious that this person does not like me. Mm-hmm. So I let relationships burn. And it's, to me, incense to the throne. Cause, uh, and I don't take offense. I try to keep peace. But if all, as much as depends on you, <laughs> yes, live peaceably exactly with right. all men. <laughs> because some people... It's just absolutely... Our professional victims. Yes. They, they can't help but be offended. And, right. and, you know, there's another verse that says, put up with the scruples of the weak, meaning if little things bother weak people, try to accommodate them, right? And, and I do believe the law of love suggests that we don't tell everyone be resilient. The law of love says we are to be resilient, we are to be patient, and we are to be kind, meaning if something we say or do triggers them mm-hmm. and we know that they don't need to be triggered mm-hmm. they shouldn't be offended it's right. not them it's not me that upsets them but they that upset themselves mm-hmm. we need to accommodate yeah and if we can see that right yeah and if we can be patient with them and love them and pray for them and i do think it's our responsibility not to intentionally trigger them i mean if right. we don't know we right. don't know but if i know that right. xyz no matter how petty it is gets under that person's skin and makes them act a fool I should just not do that, right? right? And wouldn't that be the way you would want to be treated? Yes, I if would. you had an easy trigger or yes, soft spot, you wouldn't want mm-hmm. people to accommodate you. Mm-hmm. That's called the platinum rule. Treat others the way they want to yeah. be treated. But it's embedded in the golden rule. And so uh, it's, it, I don't know any other social and emotional skill set. Treat others, that's social, the way you want to be treated, mm-hmm. that's emotional. It's the original social emotional skill set. And it is the foundation for a peaceful society. Yeah. Now, you said that you're mainly in secular schools. Mm -hmm. What do you hear from the students when you talk to them about what is love? Because I saw one of your videos on that. And you talked about, you know, people have issues because they think love hurts and just different things. And when Mm -hmm. you talk about patience and kindness, what is the feedback that you get from the students? Mm. Well, typically... uh, I'm going to try it. That's that's what kids say. Or, hey, I did that last summer when someone didn't invite me to a party and it totally worked. It's usually an affirmative response mm-hmm. to say I'm going to or it has worked for me. Um, a lot of times uh, kids understand that for them, but they think the, the rule changes when they see their friend being picked on. Mm-hmm. So the most common question I get is, what if I see my friend going through a hard time? Teach them these skills. Mm-hmm. Right. They need to practice these skills. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, uh, where a child's going to struggle the most is to identify the rigid demands that they have created about a certain behavior that someone says or does and uh, helping them pry open the grip of demand that they must not, ought not, should not do that. Yeah. You know, and when I hear you, Brooke, say that the rigid demands, I've never thought of it in that 
way before, right? We say things like, I'm not going to put up with that. They can't treat yeah, me like boundaries that. Boundaries are yeah. noble. You know, da, 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 da. And it's like you get yourself all worked up right. about this thing or things that have right. happened. And if we saw that as a rigid demand or that we're bringing up our children or encouraging our grandchildren to hold out rigid demands, I truly, I do think sometimes, well, most of the time, changing our expectations is key. Right. Yeah, I say give up the grip. Give up the grip. I have all my audiences say give up the grip of our rigid demands because uh, I think there should be a ninth beatitude. Blessed are the flexible, they shall not break. Amen to that. that. Yes, yes. <laughs> because it's so I say true. that a lot. I need to be flexible. Yeah. I need to be more creative. Yeah. It's a Jehovian godlike complex that I create when I have a fairness con- construct, that no fair. And those are the two things that get us in trouble with people. Mm-hmm. Our fairness construct, you must be fair, and our inability to endure their frustrations. You must not block my goal. You must not get in my way. I'm trying to go somewhere and don't hurt me, help me. And those are the two things that help people with most Mm -hmm. when they have people problems. Yeah. I think that one of the most valuable things that my mom would say to me, I'd say, well, that's not fair. And she'd say, well, life isn't fair. Mm -hmm. And I would think that is so mean. That is so awful. And I would cry, but she's right. Life isn't fair. Yeah. I tell my kids, the only thing fair about life is that it's unfair for everyone. There you go. (laughs) And that's really setting your children up with a realistic expectation of this is how life in this broken, fallen world goes. And if we'll train our minds in the right way, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's actually cooler than that. My nine-year-old was going to camp. Absolutely most proudest moment of my fatherhood. I said, you so excited about camp? He said, Dad, I'm so excited. I said, why are you so excited? He says, I hope someone bullies me this week. (laughs) I said, why would you say that? He says, I want to practice my skills. And that's awesome. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And true story. I said, every time they're mean to you and you don't get upset, I'll give you a dollar. And if you're able to be nice to them and convert them into someone who's nice, like an enemy to a friend, I'll give you five. Absolutely true story. 43 bucks that week he made. I had to learn first day, you don't kick kids in the shin to get them to be mad at you. He needed money, right? So he, he would get them upset with them. I said, hey, no more of that. But 43 bucks he made, and he's one of the most resilient persons I know. That's awesome. So you've lived this, and that's how you've raised your children, to be strong. The opposite of what I was as a child. And so, yes, I've got, I've got great delight in knowing that my children walk in the truth, that they are valuable in God's eyes, and they don't need to live for the approval of others. Right. And they're not holding out their cup, so to speak, to everybody. Fill this up. Fill right. this up. I need to be happy. I need to feel valued. Right. Because there are many adults that do that, and it doesn't work. Right. Right? As long as we need things from people, we'll never be able to stand strong on our own and who God made us to be. So we're out of time, but I want us to show your video here as we close. But thank you, Brooks, for coming and for yeah, being a guest Monica, on Bridges thank today. You. Fun time. We're so glad that you could join us on Bridges today where we bring you hope for the journey. We talked about what is love, and I want you to look at Brooks' video, What is Love? There are so many songs about love that are so messed up. Like, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. That's abuse. That's terrible. What's love got to do, got to do? (laughs) What's love but second-hand emotion? That's like issues. Someone's got issues. You know what love is? Can I tell you? And I'll close with this. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Some people think it's a quiver in the liver. 
an ocean of emotion, a feeling. It's not any of that. The love that lasts a lifetime, that helps a family stay together, that endures the chaos of childhood rearing. The love that we need as a community to hold each other together. Love, in its purest form, is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. You don't feel it. You choose to do it. And there's two things that love is. I discovered this in an old poem. It's found in the Bible. But it says, love is patient. Love is kind. And then it goes on in the poem to say what it's not. It is not proud, is not rude, does not seek its own, is not easily angered, keeps no record of wrong and all this kind of stuff. Does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. But if you back up to the very beginning of what it is, what is, what is love? I'll tell you, it's patient and it's kind. If you dig really deep in like the old language of the original poem, it actually says love suffers for a long time or is long suffering and is kind. And love shines most when you have an enemy in your life. That's what Jesus said. Love your enemies. That's hard to believe. So when you think love is patient, love is kind, don't get upset, treat them like a friend. All religions in the world and all moral philosophies and all civilized law comes around this concept of be patient with one another when they annoy you and be kind to them. That's unconditional love, by the way. I'm going to be kind to you even though you don't deserve it. I'm going to be kind. Love is patient, love is kind. And if we can model that to our children, and it's the very thing that can change their world for the better. My name is Brooks. I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. What do you do when the world around you is falling apart? It's amazing to me how many people are breathing air. They're going about their business and doing the things you're supposed to do. But if you really ask them, they know that on the inside, they are spiritually and emotionally and relationally dead. If we're not careful, all of us can experience that death. When what we need to do, even as the world around us is falling apart, we need to learn how to march when it would be easier to stay where we are and die. Join me each week on the March or Die show as we discuss that and so much more.